Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show, Super Tuesday edition of the program. Today, I'm Roger Martian, so glad to have you along. We have lots of things to give away. I've been saying that a lot. We have lots of things to give away. Uh, but these are the kind of things that you definitely want, especially on a Super Tuesday. Uh, Mark Burrell is back. We're going to talk about his outstanding book on rediscovering the American covenant and restoring our nation to greatness. We'll be doing a little preview of uh, tomorrow night's GOP uh, presidential debate and uh, giving you a chance to win. We've not one, not two, but three copies of the book that uh, Mark has written about this uh, self-published and it's a, a great work on the American covenant and how if we use the Declaration of Independence as our guide rather than the Constitution, we could actually bring America back more toward being a godly nation. Uh, Dr. Wendy Patrick, is all, if you watch Court TV, you're familiar with her. Uh, she's also written an outstanding book on sin, why sin is such a, an appealing thing to so many of us. And she kind of breaks it down in clinical terms in her new book and um, why good looks so bad. And we'll be talking with her later on in the program. Uh, also, there's a bit of a furor in Northern California. One school district, not a huge area, but one school district decided to take a stand as to just ending some of the confusion regarding what flags could be flown and what banners could be raised and which, and more and more city councils, school boards are actually doing this type of thing. They're just saying, look, we want to make it simple for everybody, okay? So outside of the state or the federal government, we're not doing anybody. You know, it's just, it's not necessarily trying to make a statement for or against. We're just trying to eliminate confusion. Well, they made a decision that conservatives would actually cheer for, and the left is losing its mind. So we're going to get into that. But you have to ask the question, why do progressives and leftists always pick or always seem to pick these small areas? Have you thought about that? I mean, take a look at Coach Joe uh, Kennedy we talked about last week. Bremerton, Washington, not a really huge mecca of excitement happening. As a matter of fact, let me just check this out here. I mean, I, I like to do this in real time because it gives you, you know, an idea of, uh, you know, where, uh, how easy it is to go ahead and look at this too. Bremerton, Washington has a population of 43,505 people. Okay, it's not a huge town, not a small town, but that's where the left went after Coach Joe Kennedy because he had the audacity to bend a knee at the end of a football game, high school football game, and uh, that he had been involved in as an assistant varsity coach and didn't say a prayer out loud, literally just took a knee, bowed his head, and the left lost its mind. It took seven years of court cases and hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees to get Coach Joe's case to eventually the Supreme Court where he won resoundingly six to three reinstated on the job and the left kept hassling him after one day back one game coaching he decided to retire and is now on the uh, he's got a book coming out they're making a movie about his story he wants to be an advocate full-time for religious liberty and things of that nature and that's the way he's going to handle his case i've had the privilege over the dozen years now we're in our 13th year if you can believe it we're in adolescence finally here at the bottom line show um we've had the privilege of meeting a lot of people who have been involved in court cases. Jack Phillips has been a guest on this program. Um, we're hoping to get Coach Kennedy on in October when his book comes out. A lot of people who are just kind of average folk like you and me, who wind up on in the crosshairs of the totalitarian left simply because they had the audacity to stand firm for biblical values. Another woman I got a chance to meet, this was back in, I guess it was 2018. 
uh, Kim Davis. Remember her, her story? Kim Davis, rather, you know, simple <laughs> person. This is a woman back in, uh, um, in, in 2015. She was working as a county clerk. And uh, she worked in Rowan County, Kentucky, and was the county clerk. Now, this is an elected office, um, and it's not a huge area of land. I mean, Kentucky has 4.5 million population, right? But this was back when the left used to do this. Is during the Obama administration, they were notorious for sending people all over the country. There was a, uh, a wedding chapel in Idaho, I believe. And there was a couple that they ran this. It was a kind of, I mean, literally it was across the street from the main courthouse in this part of Idaho. And they did a wedding chapel, kind of Las Vegas style. They were licensed and ordained to perform wedding ceremonies there. So if you didn't want to go to the courthouse, you wanted to have more of a churchy type of feel, you could go across the street. Now across the street, the husband and wife who ran it uh, had a variety of different books and literature on hand. They would kind of walk you through a little premarital counseling and then you could schedule your day. So it wasn't like just shotgun wedding type of stuff. But there was a couple, a couple of guys, I believe, or no, maybe it was a couple of women, um, who showed up there and said, we want to get married. And they explained, hey, we believe marriage between a man and a woman. And all of a sudden, there was a big lawsuit. We're going to shut this place down. This little small church chapel had done a huge business because there were a lot of people who would go to the courthouse and say, wait, we want to do something a little more, a little more traditional. But basically, it turned out the couple that came for the wedding were from Boston or something. They were from Manchester. They were from New Hampshire. I don't know where they were from. It, they were not locals. And pretty soon, as you began to look at these cases, you began to see that more and more of these, you know, the photographer won't take pictures at our wedding. We're going to sue in New Mexico or the, uh, the flower person in Washington State or whatever. Oftentimes, with the exception of Baron L. Stutzman, I mentioned Arlene's Flowers in Washington, she knew those customers. And the customers did not originally bring the case up. It literally was a Facebook post. One of the guys saying, hey, we're getting married, these two guys. And they were customers of Arlene's and they knew Baron L. Stutzman and her husband. And they, said, they went in and they talked to her and said, we knew she'd probably say no. And she said, I love you guys. You know I do, but I can't do this. They said, we totally understand. And they literally, one of the guys just said, I'm kind of bummed that she can't do it. We get it, but I'm kind of bummed. Somebody at the Washington State Attorney General's office or wherever it was saw the post and filed a claim. And they wound up bankrupting Baron L. Stutzman and her husband. She had to sell the business and they ruined their retirement because of a Facebook post. That was, gosh, 10 years ago. The Kim Davis decision was happening right around this time. And basically what it involved was Kim Davis was the county clerk in Rowan County, Kentucky. A couple showed up and asked for marriage licenses at the county recorder's office. That's what they would do. The county clerk had to sign the licenses. Every marriage license that came in. Well, Kim Davis had run for that office, that position, as a Democrat. She had been a kind of a liberal, left-leaning, no-one-really-cares Democrat. Something happened to her during second term of President Obama, and she said, you know what? I, she kind of got right with Jesus, <laughs> you know? I mean, she, she had one of those moments where things were starting to take a left turn in the culture. And I mean, and it's the culture who does it, not necessarily the president. You can't say Donald Trump made America Christian and Joe Biden's making this. I mean, people are people. But it was interesting that Kim Davis got 
faith. She found her faith in Christ. She had been divorced. She'd been through some rather rough and tumble things, but she kind of got her proverbial act together. And now here she was holding an elected office in the small county in Kentucky. And that was the cardinal sin. Because the left looked at her and said, wait a minute, you can't, boy, that means you're a conservative Christian now. You know what that means? That means you're going you're, you're gonna to do those biblical values things, and we can't possibly have that. So all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, not having any sort of pre, uh, pre-prescribed uh, indication that something like this might happen, a couple, uh, both of the same gender, showed up at her county clerk's office and asked for a marriage license. Now, at the time that this was going down, the Obergefell decision hadn't really reared its ugly head yet. That was coming up in, uh, in 2015. But in this case, you had Yates versus Davis and Arnold, or Ermold, excuse me, versus Davis, where they, she was the Davis in the case because she was the county clerk and she refused to issue a, uh, a marriage license because of the fact that they did not um, <laughs> that, that they did not issue same-sex marriage licenses. Well, lo and behold, all of a sudden, here comes a lawsuit. You're violating our rights. Obergefell passed. Uh, gay people have the same rights as straight people, blah, blah, blippity, blah. And next thing you know, she's in the crosshairs. Now, here's the thing that I found interesting. When I met Kim, she's a very nice woman. Uh, we had a lovely conversation. She had written a book at that point in 2018. She thought she was past her legal issues, uh, but they're rearing their ugly head yet again. There are 4.5 million people who live in Kentucky. Now let's put juxtapose this against California. California has approximately 40 million, maybe 39 million. So the population of California is 10 times the number of Kentucky. There are 58 counties in the People's Republic of California. Guess how many counties there are in Kentucky? 120. That's right, or properly, 120 counties. These guys could have gone anywhere to get these marriage licenses, but they just happened to pick Rowan County. Here's what's happening now in the case of Kim Davis. Liberty Council is going to be filing a judgment on the verdict of a U.S. District Court Judge David Bunning in response to a jury rendering a $100,000 verdict against former Rowan County Clerk of Kentucky Kim Davis in the Ermold versus Davis case. Essentially, the jury had no basis for evidence to support the verdict. They just gave her the award. They gave up the award anyway. The Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, the Emerald Jury verdict is unsound. It sets a precedent, blah, blah, blah. Yates versus Davis and Ermold versus Davis each involve a same-sex couple who sued Ms. Davis in 2015 following the Supreme Court's Obergefell versus Hodges decision. During the trial, two juries heard the same evidence and the same arguments in both cases in Yates versus Davis. They awarded zero damages because that's what the evidence required. The plaintiff in that case asked for $300,000. But without any evidentiary support, the herbal jury reached a verdict of $50,000 for each plaintiff. The evidence presented at trial does not support that verdict. The plaintiffs asked for $50,000 each in damages. They said that David Ermold was terminated from his job at the University of Pikeville simply because of the Kim Davis case. 
During the trial, the human resource director at the university testified on Ms. Davis's behalf that that simply wasn't true. Rather, he was let go because they had to get rid of some other positions, lay off some people, and he got squeezed out. But it's amazing how, here we go again, that you've got a woman who is not legally liable for damages, didn't commit any crime, and yet she's going to be forced to pay $100,000 to plaintiffs who said, we lost our jobs because you wouldn't sign our same-sex marriage license. Welcome to the world in 2023, brothers and sisters, and please keep Kim Davis in your prayers. They're going to keep bring this case up on appeal, and I'm hopeful that our friends at Liberty Council will be able to uh, help them with store, uh, restore and withstand this charge. As we continue, if you want to get America back on track, why not rediscover the American covenant, not in the Constitution per se, but in the United States Declaration of Independence. Author Mark Burrell has written a book called Rediscovering the American Covenant, Roadmap to Restore America. We're going to get his take on the last GOP presidential election and handicap what's going on tomorrow night and talk about how we can restore America biblically. Let's talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Well, today on this Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show, I'm Roger Marsh, can hardly wait for the next GOP debate. Well, actually, maybe I should say can't hardly wait. I, I don't know how many people were watching. I mean, more people seem to be more interested in Donald Trump's conversation with Tucker Carlson than to see the GOP candidates go at it. But there were a lot more questions than answers, I think, that were provided back on August 23rd. And joining me uh, to have this conversation about what we might have missed during the debate and maybe the larger scale of what it, why is it that progressives and conservatives see the country so differently? Uh, Mark Burrell is with me. Mark has been with us before here on the Bottom Line Channel to discuss a book of his that I found fascinating called Rediscovering the American Covenant, The Roadmap to Restore America. And we've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Mark Burrell, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. Hey, Roger. Great to be with you. Well, it's good to have you here because we are looking for the opportunity to try to make some sense of what happened in the last debate and then move forward to say, okay, well, what is it that we should be looking for? But I think first and foremost, there are some operational principles here in the United States that 
if you look at what we were founded upon and then you look at where we are right now, you see a pretty clear line as to why, you know, if you start in L.A. and you say you're driving to New York, but if you get off by half a degree, you wind up in Miami. You know, I mean, if you're not careful, you could actually have that kind of experience. It seems like the United States is kind of moving in that type of direction, too. Is that accurate? Yeah, unfortunately, uh, progressivism is continuing to spread, and uh, and that, of course, is what we should be talking about, the ideology behind it, rather than just the policies. And that, uh, at a high level, that's what jumped out at me at the uh, first debate. What I heard was, I would say, more of the same, politicians trying to f- figure out some creative way to state a policy or distinguish themselves or maybe a gotcha moment, you know, mm-hmm. with one of the other debaters on stage. And for me, that completely missed the mark because what's happening in America is very serious. And the issue isn't policy. The issue is, who are we as Americans? And that's what I try and tackle in my book, Rediscovering the American Covenant, because I make the point that the real issue here is not that we're not following the Constitution or bad policy. Those are those are important issues. But the real issue and what we need to be talking about in these debates is who are we as Americans? What do we believe? And do we see the the trouble ahead because of the progressive policies that are systematically attacking all of our founding principles? And that's what we should be talking about at these debates. Mark, you know, it's interesting to see the candidates up there and, you know, know that there are some people of faith and people not of faith. And, you know, anybody can say anything. Just we become a talking points nation with regard to politics and policies. And and we stress here at the bottom line show, you have to you have to look at policies over personalities. You know, you have to look at principles over politics, because if we don't, then you wind up getting swept away in the whole uh, caught up in the moment moment. And it kind of reminds me. Uh, where we are here in 2023 compared to 2015, where the 2016 you know debates were starting to happen. And that's when that wild card dark horse candidate came out of nowhere, Donald Trump, and basically ran the table. We're eight years later. America is a different nation, I believe, in terms of the way the attitudes and opinions are when it comes to politics. And yet there are still a lot of people who are supporting Donald Trump. How does the Trump supporter for 2024 differ from the Trump supporter from 2016, in your opinion? Well, I think what Trump supporters saw and continue to see is that he seems to understand that there's something fundamentally wrong in how our government is functioning. In fact, I would make the point that what we're facing today is very similar, if not potentially worse, than what our founders were experiencing in 1776. Really? And if you think about the operative principle, yeah, this is why I think it's so important to understand what's going on. The operative principle behind the American founding is the simple idea that when a civil authority is governing immorally over a long period of time, they forfeit their God-given responsibility or authority to govern. And Mm. this is exactly what happened in the 13 years or so leading up to 1776. And so that's the issue that needs to be talked about. And that's why I say today is eerily similar. Why? Because we we have a former president who's being indicted on things that, uh, you know, most people, even the objective observer, would say this doesn't make sense. 
yet you see the Biden family not being indicted or, you know, really even being scrutinized. And so we talk about, well, there's a two-tier justice system. Well, that's true, but why is that? And the reason there is is because the progressives have completely rejected our national founding document, our covenant, our contract. Some call it our birth certificate, the Declaration Mm -hmm. of Independence. And in the first paragraph, it starts with this reference to the law of nature and of nature's God, which is a direct reference to the moral law summarized by the Ten Commandments, which our founders viewed as the legal standard. In fact, the whole argument for separation was based on the notion that we have a right to live according to that that divine law that is timeless. It's in, it's in effect at all times and all places, and it must be respected. And yet, that that really is the fork in the road right there, Roger. Yeah. Where the progressives, they really discard <clears throat> the idea of a moral law. And so they govern with, with reckless moral abandon. I mean, they've lost their moral compass. So nothing should surprise us anymore about what they do. It shouldn't, and yet for some reason it keeps on doing so. Mark Burrell is with me today here on The Bottom Line, author of the powerful book uh, called Rediscovering the American Covenant, Roadmap to Restore America. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And what you said, I wanted to echo and underscore with regard to losing a moral compass. I think the thing that may be even more dangerous on the progressive side is I think of something my friend and colleague, Dr. George Barna, shared with us here on the broadcast maybe a month or so ago with regard to his American worldview inventory, and that is the fact that the number of people who uh, say that the Bible is their you know, moral standard, if you will, hold a biblical worldview, is down uh, from 6 to 4%, but the number of people who believe in moral standards has actually gone up. The only problem is they think that they're the source of the moral standards now, which is completely right. the antithesis of what happened right. with the founding, right? I mean, it wasn't the, uh, the whole idea for America that these men believed that our rights were inalienable rights that were endowed by our creator? I mean, what what a mind bend that yeah. must be for someone like yeah. you who studied this so intently. Yeah, and it's disappointing, but here's where the church has really let us down, because they have not been that moral beacon in, mm. in society, which is a key part of their role, to call out and to hold up the standard first, to say, listen, folks, this is what moral and ethical behavior looks like. It, it's operating, living your life, according to the standard. And when you reject the moral law, the Ten Commandments, then you're, you're left with self-determination, whether you, know, you believe something's true, your truth, right? This is what we're seeing right. now. Mm-hmm. You've got to accept my truth, but I'm not going to accept your truth. Well, what about the truth, which comes down to, well, what does the Bible really say? And even, Roger, can I depend on the Bible? Why should I mm. believe the Bible's true? Mm-hmm. And so I address this in the book, and I try and make the clearest connection between biblical principles for how to start a nation and how to govern justly, and what the founders actually did. And so that, that's why I encourage your listeners to get a copy. Get a copy for your pastor and your church leaders, because uh, honestly, they're looking, most of them, I find, are looking for a, a strong biblical argument that says they should do something more than what they're doing today, which is basically just submit and pray to whatever what's happening. It's a shame, but that's what they're doing. It really is. And having been on too many church councils, having served in pastoral ministry for a number of years, I know the frustration that a lot of pastors have when you say, yeah, but if you want to grow your church, 
you have to de-emphasize sin. You have to steer clear of, you know, some of these cultural landmines. 20 years ago, the biggest problem, I think, for a lot of pastors was, do I preach on Revelation or not? And now when you look at the, when you look at the idea that people are, are, are wrestling with all manner of sin, and not just the sin individually, but the sin of, you know, what is the standard, you know, with regard to what's happening in the culture. Right. Uh, it, it's very challenging, but there is some hope. We're going to take a quick break here. Mark Burrell is my guest. He's the author of the book, Rediscovering the American Covenant, Roadmap to Restore America. We're taking a look at uh, doing a little uh, postmortems on the last GOP debate and getting ready for the next one, but also giving us our marching orders in terms of how to live Christianly during this election cycle. Uh, the link for the book is up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of our conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Stephanie Cover of Cover Law fights for your rights inside and outside the courtroom. As an experienced trial attorney, Stephanie knows that litigating inside a courtroom often costs you more in terms of money, stress, and time. That's why, for the client's sake, she will work hard to settle without the need for a costly trial. Stephanie consistently led her firm in settled cases each month. Because Stephanie worked for insurance companies for decades, she knows how to talk to them. Her knowledge of the insurance process means she's highly qualified and even enjoys talking to insurance adjusters and attorneys on your behalf. Stephanie challenges them with tough questions and holds them accountable for your benefit. When you're in an accident, you want an attorney that will protect your rights and get you the settlement you deserve. Call the attorney who knows the insurance company's processes inside and out and will fight for your total compensation. Call Stephanie Cover at Cover Law today at 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Or just go to kbrightradio.com slash cover today. Welcome back to the Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Mark Burrell is my guest. And we have not one, not two, but three copies of Mark's book to give away. It's a good one. It's called Rediscovering the American Covenant, Roadmap to Restore America. 800-227-5278, is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, we have not one, not two, but three copies of this book to give away. 800-227-5278, is the number to get you through to the bottom line. You know, it's interesting. Mark and I have been talking about activism. And active citizenship is a vital part of the Christian faith. And, and, and I hope, you know, as we were talking about Kim Davis's case earlier, this is a woman who literally did just that. She put, her, her, uh, put feet to her faith, if you will, when confronted with the fact that as the uh, county clerk of Rowan County in Kentucky, uh, she did not believe it was within her rights as a, well, it was well within her rights as a Christian to say, I'm not going to sign these certificates. By the way, she did propose a compromise where the, uh, the, the Secretary of State or some, an elected official could have their name pre-inscribed on the, the marriage licenses already so that a same-sex couple could in fact get one. She just didn't want to have to sign it. But this is an example of how we put feet to our faith and live Christianly in a culture that has abandoned our values. More of my conversation with Mark Burrell on Rediscovering the American Covenant, a roadmap to restore America. It's coming up next as the bottom line continues. 
Welcome back to the Super Tuesday edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Mark Burrell is with us yet again to talk about his book, Rediscovering the American Covenant, Roadmap to Restore America, which is up at thebottomlineshow.com. Actually, we're not just here to talk about the book, obviously. We're here to talk about the Christian role in American politics as it pertains to us as believers, especially when we're watching the debates. We're hearing the campaign rhetoric heating up now. And Nikki Haley said this about Vivek Ramaswamy and yada, yada, yada. Where do we see the way the Lord is leading us, you know, in, in, in this type of case? And it does bring me to a rather interesting uh, scenario, Mark. I'd love to get your take on this. Of course, the most recent Donald Trump indictment has to do with the January 6th. Uh, you know, did he lead an insurrection? Did he threaten American democracy? This, that, and the other thing. And I know a lot of Christians, especially, were frustrated with his then Vice President Mike Pence for, quote unquote, not doing anything when he could have. And as far as I understand, I mean, I'm not a lawyer and I don't know about your legal background either, but I don't know that my, I, mean, I figure his legal training, the fact that he practiced law for a decade before he became a member of Congress. I mean, the, I would trust Mike Pence more than I trust me to figure out, you know, what the legalities of what he could have done on January 6th were. In your opinion, this is just kind of a, an overview question. Um, if you're Mike Pence, as a godly man who believes the Constitution is established the way it is, and you are being told you have the opportunity to basically put a stick in the spoke of the election, if not overturn it completely, do you think Mike Pence acted appropriately and accordingly on January 6th? So this is a great question, Roger, because you first have to start with the conviction of the man's faith. And I think most people that have watched uh, Mike Pence over the years, I had a chance to meet him. We didn't talk mm. much, but I, th I think you've got to acknowledge that and, and give him the benefit of the doubt that he's got a sincere faith. You know, the book that just came out, it's called So Help Me God. Mm. And he clearly took his oath of defending the Constitution very seriously, and that was the point on which he evaluated what he should do. Mm -hmm. And he felt like, if I do something that's uh, provocative, I could be acting outside of what the Constitution allows, this document that I swore to God I would, I would protect and defend. So if you leave it, the question there, that you could say, well, I think he did the right thing. However, this is why I shared in your first segment, what does the Constitution serve? Well, it serves we the people, mm -hmm. and the basis of the Constitution is the Declaration of Independence. So you get back to who are we? as Americans, and what is the operative principle behind the American founding that ultimately must be defended? And the answer to that question is, you've got to stand up to tyranny. You've got to call it out, and you've got to stand up to it, and ideally use every legal lever that you have at your disposal to confront it. So if you understand that, if you understand that the Constitution, while you take an oath to protect it, it's ultimately in service to our founding document, the Declaration of Independence, which is a founding covenant. And so if you look at it through that lens, then you see how we've had not only, you know, 13 years, which is what the colonists dealt with, we've had, you know, 30 plus years, decades, where we have a political class who has fundamentally rejected the moral law and our founding covenant, and they are governing immorally. The list of offenses is just as egregious as the founders listed in the Declaration of Independence. So what do you do at that point? 
Well, certainly you take advantage of every legal option you have. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm an engineer by trade. I'm, I'm not a lawyer, but I've talked mm-hmm. to a number of people about this. And the fact that states made changes to election laws without going through their state legislatures, mm-hmm. that's a clear violation. So for that reason, I say Mike should have acted. Mm-hmm. But I understand why he didn't. It's because he doesn't appreciate the founding document, the, the Declaration. He's much more focused on the Constitution, which is mm-hmm. why you need a balanced mm-hmm. understanding right. of the American founding. Mm-hmm. And hence the reason for Mark Burrell's book, which is so uh, crucial at this time in our nation's history, the Rediscovering the American Covenant, the Roadmap to Restore America, which is up at thebottomlineshow.com. And and you can see, I mean, that little fissure that happened between 1776 and 1787, 88, 89, uh, where, you know, there was just a, you know, one, you know, here's our stated, here's who we are. And then the other is, but here are the laws that are going to govern us, you know, and, and that was, if you lean more legal versus, you know, uh, I guess I'll say altruistic, then yeah, you know, you can see where there's an issue. Another place too, where there becomes a a really big push is with the uh, area of the sanctity of human life. And of course, with uh, January January 23rd, 1972, now being replaced in the minds of pro-lifers by June 24th, 2022, which is, you know, a great day that versus Wade was overturned, Doe versus Bolton, yeah. uh, Planned Parenthood versus Casey. I mean, all of those uh, miscarriages of law. But then there comes the issue of, okay, well, should we have a federal uh, total ban on abortion? Uh, does that not, does that kind of take the page out of the playbook from the progressive side that says, we're going to shut down any kind of speech that we don't like? As a Christian who holds the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution seemingly in equal regard, Mark Burrell, what's your take on a push for pro-lifers saying we need a federal ban on abortion. So the uh, analogy I would point to, Roger, would be the slavery issue at the time of the founding. And, and the reason this is important is because it's practical, and it actually happened. It wasn't something that, you know, in hindsight, we wish it would have gone differently. But if the uh, founders in the North had not agreed to pull the 28th uh, charge against the King of England. There's 27 in the Declaration. The 28th charge, which got deleted, had to do with slavery. And the South basically said, we can't sign this document. We're not here to talk about that issue. We're here to talk about the tyranny of the king. And they went back and forth, and ultimately the North acquiesced. Jefferson agreed to have that clause stricken. And they, w- they thought, we'll deal with this in the future. And uh, I've studied this issue quite a bit. In fact, I deal with it in the book as part of the objection, because uh, a lot of people look at that and say, well, they should have addressed it. Clearly, slavery is wrong, but the political mood of the country would not allow them to outlaw it at that point in time. It, it happened later. And so you ask the question, did God bless that compromise at that point in time? Well, clearly he did. And if you look at what happened 80 years later during the Civil War, the South was leveled. You know, Sherman's march, if you remember that uh, famous last push to, to push the South into submission, they wiped out everything. Mm-hmm. And the South had to start over. It was, it was really a staggering loss. But they were judged, if you look back at it. So I look at this abortion issue, and of, of course, I'm wishing that we could just outlaw it. However, 
I'm also realizing the political reality that a number of our fellow citizens, if you go that route, they're going to push back. And, um, you know, we saw this vote in Ohio. I don't know if you're following Ohio, but we tried to change our Constitution mm-hmm. ahead of this November 8th initiative to make abortion and, and transgender surgeries and all kinds of things uh, legal right up until the moment of delivery. I mean, it's horrible what the bill mm. that's being put forth as a constitutional amendment, which only requires 51 percent to pass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we... We put forth an amendment to change the the hurdle rate from 50 to 60 percent, and we voted on that in August, and that went down to defeat, largely because of how the left spun it. You know, they spun the messaging. Uh, so, so here we are, living with a bunch of unbelievers, who most would acknowledge. Here's where I think Nikki Haley has it pretty close. Most would acknowledge at some point you've got to have a ban. So let's let's push for what we think we can reasonably pass without alienating uh, a, a bunch of unbelievers who just have no idea really how important the sanctity of life is. Mm-hmm. While, and here's the important part, Roger, this is what I want your listeners to hear, while we work even harder to actually save lives. Mm. How do we do that? Things like preborn, we started supporting that organization where the mother mm-hmm. sees the sonogram and when that happens, they choose life almost every time. So right. like it's rather than trying to make it illegal and expunge it, let's make it let's pass some reasonable reasonable legislation while we really get serious, by the way, because I don't feel like the church has been very serious about abortion over the last thirty years. There's only been a handful of people that have been working hard to eliminate it. But what if we got really serious and we said we're going to fund uh, you know, preborn and we're going to work with we're going to have it be a legitimate ministry in our churches. Uh, I think we would save more lives, and mm-hmm. I think that's the goal. And in the process, hopefully, we went over more to Christ, and and they start to change their worldview. And uh, you know, something doesn't have to be illegal to end it. You you just have to win the hearts and minds. And so I think a total ban is what we're what we're seeing is actually um, pushes people away and could be. Uh, politically harmful and make things worse, which is, mm-hmm. I'm afraid that's what we're going to see in Ohio here. Yeah. But, uh, we'll let things play out. Yeah, well, and we'll be watching and praying, of course, here from the West Coast and uh, understanding a, a dear friend of mine work for another uh, pregnancy resource center. Preborn is a partner with us here at the Bottom Line Show, and we've had a great relationship with them over the past year, uh, seeing many, many people stepping up and donating enough for either whole ultrasound machines or just the ultrasound appointments. And what's interesting is that this uh, friend of mine who uh, used to be, a, he was a drummer at a Christian rock band, and he got hooked on this message. And he said, we don't want to make abortion illegal. We want to make it unthinkable. And I think when you start changing hearts and minds. I love that. Th- yeah, it, it, it really changed, it refocused the way I you know, started looking at the issue, too. And then you can see, but Mark Burrell, I'm really grateful for the conversation we've had today because of the fact that not only are you talking about, you know, the nuances of the abortion issue. But then, you know, some of the nuances of, say, the January 6th issue and do we pull back here and we put a little more pressure there? Uh, we, we began to realize there is no cookie cutter. There's no app swipe right solution for this. I mean, but it really does take us right. back to the American covenant that you write about in the book. Mark Burrell, the book Rediscovering the American Covenant Roadmap to Restore America is up at the bottomlineshow.com. Mark, it's a pleasure to have more time with you today. And I know throughout the election cycle, I'm sure we'll have more of these visits. But for today, thank you so much for joining us here on the Bottom Line Show. 
Thanks for having me, Roger. What a great conversation. Nice to welcome Mark Burrell back to the Bottom Line Show and to talk about this American covenant, how to rediscover it, the roadmap to restore America. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com here on this Super Tuesday. Not one, not two, but three copies of this book to give away. 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Uh, I encourage you to give us a call. Uh, Crystal is standing by to take your calls because as we consider where we are as a nation with regard to um, our faith and how we keep uh, the United States, you know, going and growing and thriving, um, I know there are some who would say, well, you know, the sooner the U.S. falls apart, the... uh, the better for us as a nation, because that just means the Lord's returning. Uh, I will respectfully disagree. I think God wants us to fight for biblical values in the public square as long as we possibly can, understanding, of course, that the goal here as Christians is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Amen? Um, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. The number to get you through to the bottom line. We have three copies of this outstanding book by Mark Burrell to give away, Rediscovering the American Covenant, Roadmap to Restore America. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. We'll take a quick break and when we come back, a story out of Northern California that um, is interesting because yet another, it's a, they're not the first to do this, but a school district is trying to get some sense of order with regard to How many specialty days can you recognize? How many flags and banners need to be hanging from flagpoles and be constantly changing left and right? Can't we just find a way to streamline this process and make things a bit easier? Well, if it involves banning the LGBTQ pride flag, you know somebody's going to be upset. Let's take our turn our attention to the Sonal Glen Unified School District in East Bay. Coming up next as the bottom line continues. Well, we have some good news from our friends at Preborn, and that is that we have a match in place that you got to take advantage of right now. I call it the 15 by the 15th campaign. Uh, An anonymous listener uh, who listens to the Bottom Line Show here in Southern California has put up a match for Preborn. This listener has donated $15,000, which is the cost of one uh, ultrasound machine in a preborn clinic and said, hey, I'll put this up as a match. Let's get bother bottom line listeners involved to make donations, large or small. And once we get to another 15,000, then we can give the whole amount to preborn and get two uh, ultrasound machines in preborn clinics here in Southern California. So what do you say? We're a couple hundred dollars in on this match. I know there's a bottom line listener right now who can make a $500 or a $1,000 donation, maybe even a $2,500, knowing that it's A, tax deductible, and B, going to be matched dollar for dollar to get another ultrasound machine in that will save babies' lives. Call 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229, or you can make a donation online. It's really easy. When you go to kbrightradio.com or you can go to my website rogermarsh.com and click on the preborn banner there let's save lives through preborn fifteen thousand dollars by the 15th of october we can do this my thanks again to mark burrell for joining me for the past half hour here on the bottom line show mark is the author of the book rediscovering the american covenant roadmap to restore america we're giving away three copies of that book between now and the top of the hour 800-227-5278 800-227-5278 that's the number to get you through to the bottom line you know it's interesting uh there's a small school district in east bay northern california 
KCBC listeners know it well. We probably have listeners who have kids in the school district. It's the Sonal Glen School District. Sonal Glen Unified School District in East Bay serves a total of 270 students in grades kindergarten through eighth grade. The Sunal Glen Unified School District board got together for a meeting not too long ago. It was the last week or two weeks ago. And in that meeting, they discussed an issue that was important to um, the, the issues on the topic of the day. And that is, do we encourage the flying of a gay pride flag, for example? Do we uh, allow... Uh, you know, children to withhold information about whether or not they are identifying as transgender from their parents. More and more school districts, to their credit, I believe, are actually um, are taking up this issue, taking up the mantle and having a conversation. Um, there, are, there were, <laughs> a couple of years ago, there were 6.2 million students in public schools in California. Now I understand that number's down to uh, about 5.8 million. And... Um, I, I'm just checking here districts in California. Um, the reason I wanted to see how many school there are a total of 1,018 school districts in the People's Republic of California, and enrollment is 5,852,544. The uh, let's see, not the majority of them, but uh, quite a few of them uh, are in the elementary school age range. Um, but the number of school districts, 1,018, and I would imagine that uh, Sunal Glen falls into that category. Um, the question that people are asking then is, how far does the district go to so-called uh, provide protections for students who might be dealing with gender dysphoria and might run into the risk of, you know, we always hear about uh, the concern if a girl is underage and she's pregnant and her parents find out she might be victimized by abuse, it might be difficult for her at home. Um, on the other hand, we know, we're not naive enough to believe that if an underage girl is pregnant, that she may be victimized, she may be being trafficked and abortion would be used as a weapon against her to keep her actively engaged in the sex trade industry. In the same way, when it comes to gender transition, the left is utterly convinced and is trying to convince parents that if a child is experiencing gender dysphoria and wants to be identified, you know, a boy comes to school and says, I think I'm a girl, call me by a girl's name and call me her and she and sister and all that stuff. If you tell the parents that that's what the kid wants to do, that that will go badly for the kid. Like the kid's going to get beaten. The kid's going to be kidnapped. The kid's going to be, I mean, it's, they, literally they're, they're going to commit suicide. It's, it's, it's all awful. There is no question if you look at the data that the number of kids who identify as transgender who have contemplated suicide is alarmingly high. The question of how many of them go through with it and is it worth legalizing not only the mutilation surgeries that they think are going to solve their problems, but also keeping that information from parents. Even the California State Assembly, as we talked about last week, passing Assembly Bill 957, that would basically make it a crime for a parent to not, to, like I guess to say, to misgender a child who is transgender. And the term, remember the terminology from the bill? They are no longer healthy and fit and qualified for parenting. If their son, daughter, whatever, says, I want to be a boy, and they misgender the child by calling them by their given name. Well, the Sinal Glen Unified School District got together for a meeting a week ago. 
And the question they wanted to get into is whether or not banners and flags and other things should be displayed on campus at their schools in the district and also on the flagpoles. Basically, what it boils down to is in 2022, during Gay Pride Month, there was a, an LGBT pride flag that was uh, flying from the flagpole in front of the school in June of 2022. Um, so, you know, the, the, the school district is saying, hey, we want to have this policy that says we want to be welcoming and inclusive, but we just don't want to start anything, you know. <laughs> and every time you put up one of these flags, it starts something. So the trustees at the Sunal Glen Unified School District heard hours of testimony from people for and against a policy that would effectively ban any kind of flag flying in front of a school except for the United States of America flag, the California state flag, and oftentimes they'll include something involving the military or law enforcement. That's it. Now understand that in addition to no longer having these rainbow flags, that would also mean no Christian flag. That would also mean no sanctity of life flag, no adoption celebration flag, none of that stuff. But basically, by a vote of two to one, the superintendent of the school, who's also the principal at this school, Maline Barnes, said apparently, now let me digging a little deeper here, apparently the school is also the district. By a vote of two to one, the district board has approved banning the display of banners, anything other than the American flag or the California state flag. They're just cutting it off there. It's interesting because um, when you look at the, uh, the reasons why the policy was proposed, board president Ryan Jurgensen said, when a school starts endorsing any single particular point of view, that can be divisive or divisive, if you will. The school should be inclusive of all Individual views are irrelevant. I prefer to seek more of what unites us as a school. Now, there's 270 pupils in the, stu- in the school. Guess how many people showed up? 150. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And a lot of people came and they were, had their uh, pride flags that they were waving. A lot of people wore rainbow boas, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the school was criticized for examples of what they call anti-LGBTQ policies. There was a district resolution that required teachers and counselors to notify parents if their children were using names or pronouns uh, separate from their biological sex. That policy is no longer in place. And yet that's the kind of thing that the left will come after a school district like this and say, you can't do that because it's dangerous for kids and they can't tell you why. But is it common for these policies to be in place. On the other side of this break, I want to take a look at the number of California school districts that have passed parental notification policies that would alert parents if their students are choosing to use a different name or a pronoun at school. The number may surprise you. We'll take a look at it coming up next as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to the Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh couple more moments left for you to get in on the giveaway here for Mark Burrell's book, Restoring the American Covenant, A Roadmap to Restore America. Talks about how if we rediscover the basic tenets of the Declaration of Independence, we will see improvement in our culture. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. 
800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Um, the uh, Sunol Glen Unified School District in East Bay recently passed an ordinance that proclaims that um, the only flags that they will fly from the school and the only display of banners will be the American flag, California state flag, that's it. No LGBT pride flag, no Christian flag, none of that stuff. 150 parents showed up representing 278 students. Um, there's a, uh, a, a filmmaker by the name of Joel Souza who said before the meeting, you know, th this looks like it might be a canary in a coal mine here. Uh, the new policy does not explicitly mention the pride flag, but um, <laughs> say it's interesting. He says, uh, this is a very accepting place. It's very safe and protected, but there are clouds on the horizon. That's very unfortunate. This is a backdoor attempt to ban the pride flag and everything it represents. But what's interesting about this, I mean, it's a small school. Obviously, it could be precedent setting. And we know that in the People's Republic of California, California Attorney General Rob Bonta already announced a lawsuit last month against the Chino Valley Unified School District to immediately halt enforcement of their mandatory gender identity disclosure policy. The left is in collusion with the government to make this happen. But as I mentioned before, this is something that uh, is only happening in five other school districts statewide. There are 1,018 public school districts in California. Five of them have policies like this. So the left's idea that this is a canary in a coal mine, bit of an exaggeration. But also please understand that these are biblical common sense values that anybody would have understood a generation or two ago. And now the idea that the school district is doing something wrong by saying we don't want to promote homosexual activism, that the school district is doing something wrong by saying we want to alert parents if their child is considering gender reassignment surgery. This is the world we live in. Think, pray, and vote in November of 2024. That's the bottom line on that. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. We've got a special edition of Rabbi Schneider discovering the Jewish Jesus coming your way. On the other side of this break, Dr. Wendy Patrick is going to join me from Court TV. We're going to talk about the nature of sin and specifically why bad looks good, developing biblical wisdom to make smart choices in life, love, and friendship. That book's up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dr. Wendy Patrick coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, we're going to talk about something that's important for all of us as Christians. It's why is it that we fall into the sin of temptation and then we're bitterly disappointed when we wind up there. Joining me today here on the program is a true Renaissance woman, Dr. Wendy Patrick, career prosecutor, uh, author, apologetics teacher, and concert violinist as well with the La Jolla and plays the electric violin professionally as well, too. She's the author of a brand new book called Why Bad Looks Good, Biblical Wisdom to Make Smart Choices in Life, Love, and Friendship. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dr. Wendy Patrick, welcome to The Bottom Line today. Oh, Roger, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Let's talk about this because I love, we all know this, right? We know that sin looks great and it looks better until we actually, you know, do this. But there's more to it than just saying, I know I shouldn't do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. You actually break this down in the book as to why we do make the poor choices that we do and how biblical wisdom can help us straighten things out. Talk about that, if you would. You know, I, it, 26 chapters, and it was tough to even condense it into that many areas uh, because there are so many more that we could have talked about. Everything right. from 
why lust looks like love, the seduction of the silver tongue, uh, you know, the, the rapture of riches. I mean, it goes on and on as to why bad things look good and not necessarily everything that looks good is bad, but can be bad for you. Now, and I'm often mm. asked, you know, how did you come up with these 26 areas? And I have to say that in the 30 years that I've been prosecuting crime and working with victims, I saw the same pattern over and over. Dangerous people look good in person, on paper, on and offline. They sound good. They're accomplished. They're manipulative because they know how to exploit vulnerability. And it's just got me thinking. It was actually the title of my doctoral thesis, uh, Shrewd as Serpents, Wise as Doves. You know, mm. I, I, I just, you know, really wanted to be able to dive a little deeper into trying to figure out why is it that so many in well-intentioned, educated, smart people make foolish choices? Mm. I, it's funny because Rich Bueller used to hold this uh, this microphone spot for a decade or so before I was privileged to get this, the chance to make this uh, transition here. And Rich was battling cancer at the time. And I'll never forget the fact he was talking about the number of people that you just described, basically. And he said, I don't know how else to, to describe it other than to say sometimes their picker's broken. And we just had a big howl about that, but it's true. And whether it's a relationship, the guy who keeps going after the wrong women or the people who go after the wrong careers, but there's something very serious about this too. And, and the, the, it all boils down to discernment. And Wendy, talk about how we as Christians can, you know, we, we could maybe just some quick hacks, I guess, as to how we can, you know, we know sin is sin. We know that people and will deceive us, how do we, you know, do a better job of assessing, say, friendships, for example, that we don't get stuck in the same type of bad and damaging relationships? Oh, good one. So I've got a chapter on that when frenemies look like friends. And the main thing we need to do right at the beginning where we're our most objective is take uh, take account of that first impression. Because after all, if we end up deciding we like somebody else, whether it's as a friend or more than that, what do we do? We trade in our reading glasses for rose-colored glasses. Mm. Any of the alarm bells just sort of fade into the background and now it's the tinkling of wind chimes. We miss what we wouldn't necessarily miss at the first meeting. So it doesn't matter what the relationship is, whether it's personal or professional, that is an easy hack when it comes to forming impressions. Now, I'll give you another one that sort of comes uh, as a result of my having written a Psychology Today column called uh, Why Bad Looks Good, same title for almost 10 years, is I've done an enormous amount of research as to why there's this sort of halo effect. And here's how it happens, and our psychology friends can appreciate this. Somebody that looks good uh, is gonna get more votes at the ballot box. Somebody mm -hmm. that sounds good in the courtroom is gonna persuade more jurors. Somebody that has a more impressive resume has a better likelihood of getting the job. Put all that together and you've got this false aura of credibility. Now it doesn't need to be false. Maybe it's all true and somebody's as good as they look, but that's not what this book is written for. It's written to allow us to use biblical wisdom to find the people that are not. Every one of the 26 chapters is packed with scripture. So this isn't a book about, you know, feel good and research and all the rest of it. It's scripture, 26 chapters filled with it. It's primarily written to my secular brothers and sisters to show mm -hmm. them, look, look how much wisdom there is in the Bible. They spend their times in the yes. self-help aisle of the local bookstore. They should be in the religious aisle reading the world's bestseller. That is the only <laughs> place yes. that's a one-stop shop for every bit of wisdom you need to have a safe, productive, wonderful life. That's the only way to do it. 
Yeah. Dr. Wendy Patrick is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. And the book we're talking about is up at thebottomlineshow.com. The book is called Why Bad Looks Good, Biblical Wisdom to Make Smart Choices in Life, Love, and Friendship. Uh, Wendy, in the book, you also take a look at power as it pertains to any, I mean, any aspect of our lives, right? People are drawn toward it. They want to have it. They want to feel like they can control it. You actually give us examples of what a healthy source of power looks like and an unhealthy source. Talk about why it's so important to discern between those two. It's funny that you chose power because a lot of people that ask me about the book choose love and power. Those are some of the, the real yeah. hot button topics um, because power tends, it can corrupt, but not always. There can be right. servant leadership. There can be transformational power where you have somebody that seeks to empower others like Jesus empowering the disciples or us through the Holy Spirit being given to us as a deposit that now empowers us to live a life we were incapable to live before. And that is one of the reasons that I do have so many verses on power, because it's one of those things that sounds like it's going to be a bad thing. But so much of what's in this book is not necessarily good or bad, but capable of being Mm -hmm. used both ways, benevolently and malevolently. It has to do with who is wielding the power, who's exploiting the power, or who is empowering others to step up and lead a great life according to scripture, not other things, according to the word, not the world. And it's not a, it's not an accident that my first chapter is called the deception of public perception. Because had I written this 20 years ago, it would have been very different in terms of the social media influencers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that let everybody think, not everybody, of course, many of us do read the Bible, so we're smarter than that. But let a lot of people that are just sort of drifting in the wind, not knowing right from wrong, in somehow maintaining values from what gets the most likes or retweets online. Yep. Yep. Um, now, it's a good thing that, that we, we have a keyboard ministry in terms of there's a lot of social media sites where you can learn more about the Bible. So it's not that social media is a bad thing, but it's it's controlling the content that you're consuming. And moms and dads, you know this better than anybody. You've really got to keep a close rein to make sure that your sons and daughters are looking at the right type of thing. Dr. Wendy Patrick is my guest today with great insight and good uh, exhortation for us here in the body of Christ today on The Bottom Line. The book is called Why Bad Looks Good, Biblical Wisdom to Make Smart Choices in Life, Love, and Friendship. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. The uh, phenomenon that we've seen culturally, and I uh, unfortunately am a part of it too, uh, for those who get to be older in years, they've been married 25, 30 years or so, and all of a sudden they kind of hit that point where the marriage ends, or maybe that long-term friendship just kind of goes sideways, and you're hurting, you're grieving, and you're trying to pick up the pieces, but then you begin to realize, well, gosh, this is not the first time this has happened, where I put my faith and trust in a relationship with somebody who I thought was trustworthy, and they turned out to be deceptive or just flat out mean. You talk about the importance of surrounding ourselves with people who really are trustworthy, and you talk about that in the book. How do we do that? I mean, how, how does it take a certain measure of uh, uh, you know honesty and looking in the mirror and saying, wow, I... I I just don't make good decisions in that area. Or is there something biblically that we could start putting one foot in front of the other and correct and course correcting a little bit? Well, Roger, it's an interesting question. When I was growing up, my parents used to say, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Mm. Uh, When I told that to my law school class, Christian law school last year, they also reminded me, show me your friends and I'll show you who you are. Mm. Because think about it. Bad company corrupts. Good, Good company is iron sharpening iron. 
So you can tell by the way somebody chooses their friendships, chooses where and how they choose to spend their time is their fruit in their lives because of the choices they make and who they decide to surround themselves with. People with biblical accountability partners are just going to do much better, just like I'm going to go to the gym more often if I'm working out with a buddy. I mean, right. it is so simple. And that's one of the other things that really this, this book is packed with is the straightforward, simple nature of some great passages of biblical wisdom it's not complicated the goal as you point out roger is to not choose friends in the first place that are going to lead you astray now how do you know that you can know at the first meeting if you're being honest with yourself if you're being objective and if you know a little bit about their background because people that are going to be great sources of inspiration and encouragement and enlightenment in your life are not going to have a group of friends that your parents wouldn't want you hanging out with right it really doesn't take long to notice who it is that you're dealing with. The book is just written to say, hey, if you don't do this, you're going to uh, go astray. And like you just mentioned about bad relationships breaking up, it doesn't need to be a marriage. It can be a business partnership, mm -hmm. a friendship. It can be somebody that's embezzling from you or gossiping behind your back. There are so many reasons to make sure that we surround ourselves with wholesome relationships. Now, that doesn't mean you, you give up evangelism. We're meant to go out into the world and spread the gospel. But in terms of who we trust and invite into our inner circle, we have to practice the kind of discernment that Jesus did when he prayed all night and then chose his disciples. Amen. Uh, Wendy Patrick's book, Why Bad Looks Good, is up at thebottomlineshow.com. Biblical wisdom to make smart choices in life, love, and friendship. And we'll be giving away a copy here in just a moment. But before we wrap things up, Wendy, I want, I, I'm appreciating the fact that I love hearing your prosecutor's mind in everything that you're sharing with us. And I realize that for me as a, a believer, for, since I was 19 years of age, I take 1 Peter 3.15 to heart. Always be prepared to give an answer, you know, give a, a biblical defense with gentleness and respect. But you're encouraging us, and I know I'm motivated, to take more of a proactive approach with regards to, hey, you've got to, you know, you, you put somebody else on the defensive here, ask those probing questions. How can we as believers not only be good defense attorneys in terms of our faith, but good prosecutors in terms of how we go after something that we want to make sure isn't just glittery, but it really is gold? Well, I've got a chapter on that. You know, um, sometimes people think that ignorance is bliss. If right. they know a little bit about somebody and maybe it's a little bit of something good or exciting or sensational, they tend to sort of fill in the blanks. Uh, back to the halo effect. You know, if somebody is yeah. very attractive, we tend to say, oh, I'll bet she's a really good mother. Uh, I'll bet he can keep a secret. Um, he must have a great job. That is the wrong way to go about assessing the personality of somebody else. The right way is to look and see if there's actually fruit in their life. Do they both talk the talk and walk the walk? Right. And that takes time, but it doesn't take the kind of investigation that I put into my cases because many of these qualities, both good and bad, are painfully obvious. Right. We're just not looking because we see what we want to see. And I got a chapter called Bittersweet Nothings. We hear <laughs> what we want to hear, especially if somebody makes us feel good. I've had 30 years of prosecuting manipulators that know exactly how to make you feel good because they've studied your areas of vulnerability and they're going to come in and exploit that, knowing that then you're going to trade in your reading glasses for rose-colored glasses and miss the red flag so they can have their way. So that, I suppose, is what I've learned prosecutor-wise. But isn't that something that anybody can relate to, regardless of who you are, where you've been, or who you know? We've all been there. 
Mm. And and we don't have to be stuck there. We don't have to be victims, uh, especially in these bad relationships or victims of our own decisions where then that circular reasoning comes back and says, well, wait a minute, I made that choice. So therefore it must be my fault. It's nice to know. It's encouraging to know that there is biblical wisdom for overcoming those short uh, comings or the shortfalls, even especially, I would imagine, when do you meet a lot of people who, like you said, that there's the career criminal who studies people and makes it a, a practice to go after them. But there are also people who learn how to say, wait a minute, I've got to keep my guard up. And that means I need to uh, throw the rose-colored glasses away and make sure I've got the proper spectacles for seeing things the way they really are. That's a kind of a gift of the Holy Spirit that we really have at our disposal. No, definitely. And, you know, um, by the way, my thesis statement, I think I said it wrong earlier, shrewd as serpents, innocent as doves. And that kind of mm. answers the question you just asked is there is nothing wrong with being willing to to consider that somebody may be exactly as good as they look. And I actually end the book with that uh, green lights chapter regarding, you know, you don't necessarily need to always uh, assume the worst because there are some people that we know this, don't we? We kind of get that feeling from somebody, um, that glow. Uh, oftentimes somebody really is a Christian and really is as good as they look and is authentic. Uh, it's sort of like we get the opposite sometimes too. We're unsettled around certain people. Yeah. We, feel, we feel this sense of disquietness. And we really can't put our finger on it. Guess what? That's biblical discernment. That's the Holy Spirit. If you don't have God, you don't have Jesus Christ, you don't have the Holy Spirit, good luck. Mm -hmm. the tools you yeah. need to make the choices in life that right. this book is about and that's why i wrote it with sort of a, a as a guide towards anybody regardless of their faith to look and think that's in the bible i guarantee you there's a lot of secular people that read this and think i had no idea all of that was in the bible this is great guidance for having a wonderful life and making good choices yeah. uh, so yes that's what we do and we don't necessarily always need to keep our guard up once we've assured ourselves that somebody really is good looking, uh, sounds good and good for us. Mm, boy, that's great counsel and very, very encouraging from Wendy Patrick. She's the author of the brand new book called Why Bad Looks Good, Biblical Wisdom to Make Smart Choices in Life, Love and Friendship. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Wendy, thank you so much for uh, your your passion for this work, for this ministry, uh, your role as a college professor, as a minister, as a musician too. Next time, bring your violin and we'll have a little jam <laughs> session here. Okay, how about it? Thanks, for, right, being, thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Thank you. Well, a great conversation and a wonderful resource too. Dr. Wendy Patrick is the author of the book, Why Bad Looks Good, Biblical Wisdom to Make Smart Choices in Life, Love, and Friendship. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com and we're giving away a copy of the book right now, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, a presidential candidate is stepping into the madness that is the transgender insanity that he refers to as, and says that if elected, he will sign a bill that will ban child genital mutilation. So which of the candidates is that person? And are we gonna hear them tomorrow night in the debate? I'll answer that question for you coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. 
Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account, Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. My thanks again to Dr. Wendy Patrick for joining me today here on The Bottom Line. She is the author of the brand new book called Why Bad Looks Good, Biblical Wisdom to Make Smart Choices in Life, Love, and Friendship. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we're giving away a copy of the book right now, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Uh, I don't do spoilers very well. My wife says when it comes to secrets and things like that, I can't hold anything. You can't hold water. So I'm not going to tease you any longer with I told you before the break that there's a leading presidential candidate who says that if he is elected, or maybe I should say when he is elected, that he would uh, fight transgender insanity, as he calls it, and would sign a law banning child genital mutilation. And that guy is Donald Trump uh, making headlines last week. Uh, getting ready to say, well, once he returns to the White House in 2025, he's always very positive. He gave an address to a crowd in Rapid City, South Dakota, by the way. And he said, on day one, I will sign a new executive order to cut federal spending for any school pushing critical race theory, transgender insanity, or other inappropriate racial, sexual, or political content on our children. I will keep men out of women's sports. I will sign a law prohibiting child genital mutilation in all 50 states. Now, to, I mean, we'll, we'll take care of the obvious parts first. He can sign an executive order. Remember, President Biden signed a record number of executive orders in his first several days and weeks in office. Um, when President Trump says, when I get reelected, I will sign a law prohibiting child genital mutilation in all 50 states, it's a little ambitious on the first day in office because obviously there won't be any laws for him to sign. I mean, executive orders do have that capacity, but he won't be able to sign a, a law. It'll take... Um, Interesting. Uh, If he does not have a majority in the House and the Senate, that law is not going to get through. And it will be interesting to see how many of the senators who are kind of hanging on the fence um, on on a case like this. Mitt Romney doing the honorable thing a couple weeks ago, announcing that he would not seek reelection as a senator from Utah. You know, Governor Romney, governor of Massachusetts, I thought he would have been a good president. Maybe he would have, maybe he wouldn't. He's more of a centrist these days. And uh, as a senator in Utah, he was just kind of a pain in Donald Trump's uh, side. And then along with Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema, uh, Kristen Sinema, the former Democrat uh, from Arizona, who's now an independent, and Joe Manchin, probably the last true liberal Democrat out of West Virginia, if they don't run for re-election, then that moderate core in the U.S. Senate goes up for grabs, and all three of those seats could conceivably become uh, held by re- re- conservative Republicans. So that would be very interesting to see. I'm sure that if the Republicans get a supermajority in the House and Senate, you watch there will be a transgender bill. But banning you know men from competing in women's sports etc cetera, etc cetera. but the idea of these sex change surgeries 
the gender dysphoria, the puberty blockers, the cross-sex hormones. Listen to this report from the American College of Pediatricians. They say the potential side effects for puberty blockers include osteoporosis, seizures, cognitive impairment, mood disorders, and if they're taking puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones at the same time, you know all that talk on the TV about whoa, this man had a baby because a woman got pregnant and then started taking hormones and grew a beard and had her breast removed. And hey, pregnant man, a man with a uterus is a woman. <laughs> Just here's the deal. But cross-sex hormones with osteoporosis, they, they, the lie of, well, we'll do a womb implant transplant surgery and you could be a parent and plant parenthood as your cross-sex hormones. The American College of Pediatricians says that all of this gobbledygook that's being foisted upon our kids without FDA approval can cause sterility and mood disorders. The whole idea that the culture says, let the kids transition, otherwise they might wind up killing themselves is ridiculous because they may wind up more likely to end their lives simply because of the reaction to the drugs they're taking. But is this just some kind of crackpot, crazy Donald Trump scheme with regard to gender dysphoria and how to solve it? Or is it possible that there's been a movement happening behind the scenes and the former president's trying to capitalize on it? We'll take a look at the numbers coming up next as the bottom line continues. Preborn is saving lives by doing what the left doesn't want you to know about. Progressives don't want you to know that a baby once conceived in the womb is a human being. And the proof that we have is four-dimensional ultrasound technology that you can get for free at Preborn. The reason Preborn can offer these ultrasound appointments is because people like you make donations and uh, they're tax deductible and they provide not only the necessary appointments for the expected moms, but also making large donations that will provide ultrasound machines for each of these organizations as well. 833-850-BABY is the number to call. It's really easy to remember. 833-850-BABY or if you want to do the numbers, it's 833-850-2229. Your $28 donation right now will save one baby's life. Uh, $140 donation does five, 280 does 10. You can also give a recurring monthly gift like Lisa and I do, maybe $28 a month or $56 a month, $100 a month, whatever you and God decide. Make your best donation today and please know it's completely tax deductible and every dollar you donate to Preborn goes to the ultrasounds. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229 or go online to kbrightradio.com and click the Preborn banner today. Welcome back to the Super Tuesday edition of The Bottom Line. A few moments left for you to get in on the giveaway for Dr. Wendy Patrick's book, Why Bad Looks Good. Biblical wisdom to make smart choices in life, love, and friendship. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And we do have a copy of the book to give away. 800-227-5278. The number to get you through to the bottom line. At a rally in South Dakota a couple of weeks ago, Donald Trump said that when elected, he would sign an executive order banning men from competing in women's sports, you know, these transgender bills that are happening. And we hear the left crying out saying that's mean-spirited, it's horrible. Well, did you know that right now there are 22 states that have signed measures that will ban performance of some or all of them on minors with regard to gender transition procedures? Alabama, Arizona, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Idaho, Indiana, Iowa, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, uh, 
Montana, Nebraska, North Carolina, North Dakota, Oklahoma, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, and West Virginia all have at least some kind of restrictions on what can be done to a child, their body for gender reassignment and cross-sex hormones and things of that nature. It's interesting because in 2020, the British Journal of Sports Medicine found that trans-identified men on average maintain an advantage over biological females even after two years of hormone use to make them more feminine. 23 states have banned trans-identified men from competing in women's sports. So fortunately, there's a certain level of common sense happening. But this is a golden opportunity for us as Christians to take a look at this issue and say, how are we going to respond? Are we going to respond with vitriol? We're going to respond with kindness and gentleness and respect. Kindness, gentleness, and respect is what the Bible would tell us to do, but to not do so in such a way that we appear to condone the tipping of the scales, so to speak, in this, in this area. Nobody who's experiencing gender dysphoria should be mocked or ridiculed. I don't believe they should for one moment. However, part of the mocking and ridiculing coming from the left is the idea that you could say, have these surgeries, spend this money. If you're a woman, have your breast removed. If you're a man, have your genitalia removed. We'll pump you full of hormones, do some surgical procedures, and voila, presto changeo, you will be the gender that you are supposed to be. You know what's interesting about this, I was talking about this with Dr. Wendy Patrick, is part of the reason why there's this meteoric rise in transgender dysphoria is because of social media. John Stone Street for Prison Fellowship Ministries and the Colson Center for Biblical Worldview about four or five years ago wrote a piece called All of the Cool Kids Are Transitioning. And he was right. He called it. More and more kids are being influenced by what they see in social media, how cool it looks for that guy to become a girl, that girl to become a guy. And brothers and sisters, they're being lied to. The enemy is snickering all the way to the bank. In 2019, there were 4,000 cross-gender uh, surgeries performed on young people. Two years later, it was 19,000. It's a booming industry, it, one that requires our prayers, but it also requires the courageous acts of school boards that will step up, politicians that will step up and say, enough is enough. If you really want to protect the vulnerable, the uh, less fortunate, and the young people in our culture, you will speak truth to power with regard to the biblical worldview of sex, sexuality, and gender. That is good news, and that's the bottom line.